The Small Queendom Podcast, Episode 44. Are you ready for part two? We're getting spunky again. We're going to be talking about our favorite bite, all about the shopping, our experience uh, visiting religious sites, and our kind of our takeaways from such a big trip. Again, I'm so honored that Betsy and Spring joined me for this conversation. They're so much fun. I love knowing incredible people like these women, um, and they just they push me to the next level. And I treasure all of these fun memories that we have, and I'm so energized for what is next after this. I hope that you enjoy all the sights and sounds that I've put into this episode. And again, don't forget about next week's interview. I know you're going to love it. Let's finish up this conversation. All right, Betsy, what was the best bite you had in Nepal? Oh, hands down, the homemade lychee paneer in the high mountains of Makwampur. That was the best. That was very good. I mean, I so I ate a lot of different foods. I probably took a bite of everything that was ever served. But that was one of my faves. And also momos. Yes. Momo. Oh, I was gonna say that was my favorite thing was the momos. On the Holy on the momo. on the van? Yes. Okay, so when we were on the van, we flown back from uh Pokhara to Kathmandu. We were gonna go to our hotel one more night before we left. And they served us vegetarian Tibetan momos, momos which is like a dumpling with like a egg roll stuffing. And it had like this, it's like the perfect amount of spice. Kind of like so good. Like oh the, my gosh. it was like this tomato. It was like canned tomato, but it was good. It was so good. <laughs> the sauce that it was with. I mean, those were, that was my best. Can we talk about the thing that we like, that we didn't like the yeah, most? That's okay. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So we were served this amazing meal in um, Bhaktapur. Um, they had like a big event for us after we toured the city and we went to lunch and the lunch was good. It was like dal and rice and like all this stuff. Dal y'all. And but we had dessert and they brought around these ice cream Sunday bowls and each bowl had a big scoop of white vanilla ice cream substance with a little tiny cherry on the top. And I almost lost my mind because we've been like, so like watching our carbs and sugar for like a year now. And I was excited to have like Nepalese ice cream. It was so amazing looking. So they set it all down. We all grabbed our spoons I got a big spoonful and put this spoonful of vanilla ice cream in my mouth. And it was like mayonnaise and sour cream had a baby, not ice cream. It was curd and it was disgusting. I just have to say that was my least favorite thing that I ate the entire time. Like I scraped my tongue on the bowl. I almost gagged. It was so awful. (laughs) That was like ice cream. They said, no, it's curd. Ooh, not even that, again. that was the place that had like some kind of orange blossom blooming and it smelled so good. You remember that? Oh, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. We thought it was like a bergamot or a grapefruit, but it was a different kind of citrus fruit. Yeah, I don't know beautiful. what it was, but the yeah. blossom was, was blooming. Okay, a couple bites that was really good. My favorite was the probably the vegetarian momos and mm-hmm. the lychee paneer, but mm-hmm. 
we had a paneer masala the last night at the hotel. Oh, that was really that was good. For good. And the spice. banana lassi. Yes, the banana lassi. So tell us about the banana lassi, Betsy. Uh, okay, the first lassi I ever had was in the States, right here in my city in Racine at a Pakistani restaurant. It was mango. And so I knew enough to know that I like this drink. It's like a yogurt. Um, it's like a smoothie. Yeah, it's like a, a milkshake, but it's not cold. And banana seems to be the flavor that they love the most. And it was so good. I had a homemade one in the village of Makwampur. And then I had one at a restaurant in Pokhara. And both were like so, so good. And they Delicious. took a while to make them. Like they, they, I think they do use curd and fresh banana um, and probably sugar. I don't know. Something to make it sweet. But it wasn't just like they pour it out of a big, you know, machine, like a, like a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. Like they went and they made it for me. And it was so delicious, the banana lassi. Like the great yeah, ending to a spicy me. meal. So good. Yes. 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 So they so a typical meal that they served us, I don't know if this is always a typical meal, but there was always a soup. Mm-hmm. There was always rice and some kind of dal. There was usually some kind of steamed vegetables. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not usually a soup person, but the first night we were in the village, they served us this mushroom soup that mm-hmm. I thought was really good. I did too. It Incredible. was really good. It was. I don't know how they made that broth. So tasty. I don't either. But it was so delicious. I think that like they they did an incredible job at like giving us a good taste of the culture through food. Like I thought mm-hmm. that was amazing. Yes, and I think that preparing for this trip, we obviously we didn't know what to expect, and so a lot of us were like, you know, we're taking bars. We're not really going to eat the food. We don't want to get a parasite and. I talked to Carrie Sammons, who's a presidential at leadership, and she said, the food in Nepal is incredible. You are going to love it. And I was just like, really? Like, it was the first time I thought, like, I kind of shifted from fear to excitement, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat it. And I still took bars. I still had like a backup plan. But I didn't even eat them because the food was so delicious and it was like, you know, nourishing and spicy and prepared so well. And so I don't know. Yeah, it was good. It was a great experience. So after Makwampur, we load a bus and we take an 11 hour bus ride through the mountains of hell into Pokhara. (laughs) Tell about when you saw the rivers. Yes. Yeah, so the, the roads that we took, uh, they actually followed the river and we have spent a lot of time like out West, like looking at like the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone rivers. And we've kind of seen a lot of rivers in our life. And I have never seen a river quite like this. Like the, the size of the boulders in the river were bigger than a lot of people's homes in the States. Like there is no way to describe the the size, just the, the space that these rocks took up, but the river was huge and it was, um, very dirty, like muddy looking. And we came to a place in the road where the dirty river met the clean river. And the difference in the water was shocking how, how dirty the river really was compared to that clean river. But then the two came together and created just one more dirty, really gross, (laughs) dirty river. But it was just, it was such an experience to see the magnitude of that river. And we followed it all the way, almost all the way into Pokhara. Um, And then we landed in Pokhara in the evening and And an oasis. 
we did. I mean, we felt like it was an oasis after like sleeping on the floor on mats and like using squatty potties, you know, for three days and no shower. We had no shower for three days. Well, Betsy did. She took a cold bath shower. I did. Uh, I mean, everybody was packed with dry shampoo. And I think one of the funny things that happened is that because we were advised not to use the water, it's not potable in any way. So instead of washing our hands, we all just use hand sanitizer. And when we finally like washed our hands, the water was black. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even think gross. our hands were clean from the hand sanitizer. Yeah, we you had know? lunch. We had lunch at a restaurant that could accommodate our size, and you know, it had air conditioning. It had clean bathrooms. It had like a whole line of sinks with a mirror and Wi-Fi. And you would have thought we were like going to the Ponderosa after being on Survivor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so funny. That place, it, like we joked and said it was like the Cracker Barrel in the middle of our trip. It like was. on the side of the road. They could accommodate our size. It was so clean and so shiny. And then we left there and we landed in Pokhara at a hotel there. And we just kind of unloaded into the city of Pokhara. And it was really, there was a huge lake there and a lot of like um, cultural shopping in the area. And we found this little gem of a store called Woven. And they actually um, create bags and different, um, different textile things from women who have disabilities. And it was such a great moment for all of us with doTERRA who like we're so focused on compact sourcing and healing hands and all these things for us to be able to turn around and support a business that's based in Nepal, supporting women with disabilities. And we were able to purchase these bags. And I mean, we bought so much stuff from that store. And I got home and I was like, oh no, I didn't buy enough stuff. I need more stuff from this. No, I totally did not buy enough gifts. I immediately thought of people. I it was such a great of. place. I didn't either. I it was, I thought that poker was, was great fun. Like we had was, a lot of fun. There. We did. I know like spring and Leah, like you guys felt like it was like the Gatlinburg of yes, Nepal. I totally felt like it was, was like the, um, Wisconsin Dells of, yes. of Nepal. It was like a, you know, vacation town. Definitely go there. If you go to Nepal. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Still we were has able- like cows walking down the street. Yes. Lots of white people that are probably Swedish, Norwegian, some American, uh, Trekkie. Definitely a Trekkie town. Yes. Trekkie town. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It was such a little bright spot coming out of the village, going to there to Pokhara, spending the day, like a day and a half, two nights is what we stayed there. Um, and it was, it was just, we just had a good time. We just had a good time. What was your favorite thing that you bought on the trip? Okay, you can say two, Betsy. Betsy, what oh did you buy? Oh my gosh. Betsy. I spent a whole like day and a half haggling with a guy to get a cashmere scarf. And it is a dream. It's like neutral and oatmeal-y and it was hand woven by people that like it's a lost art. It's a lost and dying art. And most people don't spend money on it because the imitation is so close and the synthetic version is so much cheaper. Um, and like I an just, oil. I, I know, I know he ruined me because he said, if you think that's soft, you have never felt real cashmere. And he flipped this cover down on this really thin stack of like neutral colored scarves behind his counter. And it was like baby antelope cashmere scarves. It and was like top shelf stuff. Top yes. shelf. Top shelf liquor, girl. Woo! Yeah. We haggled that one, baby. So I came home with that bad boy. What about you, Spring? 
Um, my favorite thing is probably I got a cashmere like open sweater that feels like heaven. And then I bought a bunch of stuff at Woven that I just love. I got a cute purse. And I mean, I feel like it was such an experience to be there. I'm telling you, none of the stuff that we brought home was trinkets. Like we brought home stuff that we are going to use and wear and adore. And if anybody tries to take it, like I will snap at you. Like that's (laughs) how I feel. (laughs) So I think I have like three things. So I'm telling you. Okay. So one of my favorite things that I bought, if you watched my Instagram stories, is the singing bowl. Yes. Oh yes, I forgot about my singing bowl. And I bought like a serious singing bowl. You did. It's a liver singing bowl. Yeah, it's good for really? my liver. Yeah. I didn't know that. You bought one, Leah. Okay. Oh, it is see. beautiful. It's hand hammered at seven different metals. And then my next favorite thing, of course, is I bought myself a Morganite ring. It's yes, my she did. I bought my own right-handed ring. And it was like, it was such a moment for me because I've since I was probably a teenager and I used to look in magazines, I remember this so clearly. This uh, jewelry company, there was an advertisement for right-handed rings, and it was this sophisticated woman with this killer ring on her right hand. It was like <laughs> she bought this herself. I love it. And I was like, I am gonna buy myself a right-handed ring. So I bought it, but I totally intend on it, you know, going to my children and one day like having something to pass on and having a killer story behind it. It's beautiful. And then my other favorite thing is I bought a dress from Woven that was woven. So Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> we hit we hit Pokerest so hard. Yeah, we, we shopped till we dropped. We did. Do you want to talk about any of the sightseeing? Oh, maybe that. Oh, I was just going to say, I don't care. Um, but like we saw a lot of religion. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about that. Oh, let's talk about that. <clears throat> All right. So we did have some time to sightsee and culturally, um, you know, the religion of Hinduism and also the way of life that is Buddhism really intertwines mm-hmm. so much. And um, there are, instead of churches, they have temples. Mm-hmm. Some of them are on top of mountains. Some of them are on the side of a street. Uh, so mm-hmm. I don't know what was some of your takeaways from from that experience. I thought it was incredibly cultural rich, and I have a new understanding that I've never had before. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that stood out to me was the use of flowers because I've, I'm very familiar with the dot, the bendy, the smudge, everything that happens um, between your eyes on your forehead. I I know that, but I wasn't prepared for the amount of use of flowers, and I thought it was really beautiful and charming. Starting with when we were greeted in Maklumpur with the with the lays and the rhododendron and the kind of like almost giving you a boutonniere, you know, to say welcome. Um, but then even in those small villages, I don't know if you guys saw, but they would string marigolds together. Oh, yes. mm-hmm. Okay. And so they would string the marigolds and then hang them above the door. I'm sure there's like a religious significance to it. But some of them have been hanging there for so long. They were like brown. Yeah. And then they would burn them. So when um, Presumptia and I went between my cashmere haggling, we had to take a little breather, walk away from him. And I was like, let's go get a banana lassi. I need a break. She's playing hard (laughs) to get. (laughs) And so Presumptia said, oh, yeah. So we went into the store, we got a lassi, and the guy behind the counter had a plate of the most delicious looking food. And then on another plate, he had marigolds that he was burning. And she looked at me and she goes, it's a way we worship God. And I was like, right on, because I know she knew that I was going to be like, you know, um, 
so anyway, those were everywhere. And then when we went to the um, Peace Pagoda, the island that we paddled out to, the temple there where everybody comes to bring their offerings, they line up barefoot and they bring their, um, I don't know what they bring. They bring something, but they burn flowers. That's like a part of their like custom. So flowers were everywhere. Mm-hmm. In, in brass copper pots, like yes, everywhere. they floated flowers as decor. They strung them around their neck. They burned them. They hung them. Yeah. Well, I think um, when we went to the singing bowl place, um, our our guide that had been with us said, like it doesn't matter how dirty your situation is. It doesn't matter how like what's happening on the outside. If you take a bowl and fill it with water and put flowers in it, it makes everything beautiful. No and way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. And I noticed that like every place that we went, even like the most crusty of crusty places, there would be a pot with water and flowers in it. And I'm going to do know. that with my bowl. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I just, and I think that for me, the takeaway with all of the, I mean, we saw a lot of temples. We actually, Lee and I went to the monkey temple, um, up, it was on top of a mountain we drove up there. there a lot of monkeys, a lot of monkeys, a lot of dogs, a lot of dogs. It yeah. But the dog temple, that's what Keith said. He was like, it needs to be called the dog temple with some monkeys. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of monkeys and a lot of dogs, a lot of people. Um, and a lot of, um, just like great people had just such great reverence for, um, all of the, just, just like the space that they were in, that they were coming to this temple. Um, you could feel the sincerity. Yeah. Like it was just, there was, there was so many dynamics there, like from like poverty and like filth to, um, just like being okay with these animals, just kind of doing their thing all over the place. And then people being everywhere and bringing offerings to these, these temples. And, um, we actually, when we were in, um, Bhaktapur, we came up on, um, a, a goat sacrifice and, um, it was kind of like, it was, it was one of those moments where like it stopped all of us in our tracks and it like, we couldn't turn away. We couldn't stop watching it. Cause it was like, is this really happening? Like it just, and Betsy and I kind of downloaded this to each other. Cause I was just like, you know, it's 2019. And like, we, we hear of animal sacrifice, like from historical times and that sort of stuff, but they're still doing it in Nepal. And it's, it's a celebration and it's something that they do to sell it. This one was um, in particular for the coming of age for a, a young boy. And it was just kind of humbling to see like different practices of the world and how they, how they worship and how they do their thing. And um, yeah, it was just, it was one of those moments where I just, I just like, I couldn't look away. We didn't actually see the actual sacrifice. Um, we left, um, but we came back to the space after it was over with. And um it was just kind of like humbling to be like in somebody's sacred space like that. You know, it's just kind of, it, it just gives you a new view of the world and how people worship and what's important to them and what they celebrate and what they don't celebrate and all those things. Like we saw so many different altars all over the city, everywhere we went where they were decorated with candles and flowers and some sort of like crushed up Ritz cracker looking stuff. I'm not really sure what it was, but it was kind of everywhere, but people had such reverence and respect for these, these altars. And it was just kind of interesting to see, to see all that. So and that happened right under uh, a really important tree, the Buddha tree mm -hmm. under it? the Buddha tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
it, yeah. Interesting. I also loved the use of like bells and gongs and like mm-hmm. those prayer wheels yeah. and prayer flags. So it just felt very multi-sensory. And I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. that if someone from Nepal came to, uh, you know, an average non-denominational Christian church, they, they would might probably, be bored with us. <laughs> I don't know. I think they would say that it was multi-sensory too, but it was different. You know, there was prayer flags everywhere. Yes. Betsy helped me talk about what the prayer flags meant. Um, okay. Prayer flags were prayer flags were such a colorful, shocking surprise mm-hmm. every time I saw them because in the middle of Kathmandu, which can be quite like I don't like the word dirty because dirty usually means like Bad. you don't take care of yourself. Right. Yeah. It wasn't dirty in that sense. It was more just like the streets were made of dirt. So the dirt had nowhere to go but up, you know, because the dusty. cars were not slowing down. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was dusty, but then you have this shock of color. And even like rounding the bend, do you guys remember when we were on that horrible mm-hmm. top heavy banana bus ride in the mountains? <laughs> you round a curve and like, bam, there's just a bunch of prayer flags. I didn't know if that would like be good or bad. That's what I, I thought too, like, Betsy. I was like, is this a lot? Do your horses. <laughs> All right. So red stood for fire, white stood for water, uh, blue stood for the sky, yellow is earth. And then this one is still up in the air because we heard two different things, Betsy, but I heard that green stood for air. Green, wasn't it? Let's just call it trees. There you go. Yeah, it can be the trees. Which sure. Put out air. Grass, whatever. Yeah. We anyway, so it felt very multi it felt very multi multi-sensory for me. Like the sounds, the prayers, the sounds, the gongs, the bells, the the prayer wheels, the prayer flags, the flowers. Mm. It was like whatever they had available to them, they were using it as worship and they have a very distinct reverence for living things so like the animals were not in bad shape there were some old dogs but even like i was noticing the goats so shiny the chickens so fat the dogs some had collars and they were just like running the streets and they kind of looked like they were doing exactly what dogs are supposed to do and want to do you know just pee on whatever they want to and keep on going their merry way i didn't see a single leash Cows oh, just I saw a lot of collars from dogs. And I asked one guy, I said, this dog has a collar. Is it a street dog? And he said, it's a street dog. And I said, then why does it have a collar? <laughs> and he said, <laughs> oh, no, we do that for some of the dogs. We put collars on them, but they're street dogs. And I was like, oh, okay. That doesn't make I know. sense, but sure. I asked Pratik, I said, does anybody ever say, daddy, I want a puppy. And he looked at me and he goes, nobody wants a puppy. <laughs> I was like, really? That's a big deal in America. You know, everybody wants a puppy, but no. Okay. Totally. Two more quick things and then we'll finish up. So okay. let's talk really briefly about when we played playing so hard. Oh, it was so great. Listen, we played playing big time. Break it down, Spring. So we wanted to, part of our trip. One of the details of our trip was that we would get to fly around Everest on the last day. And Betsy and I about lost our mind when we heard that on the call. Yes. Like it was so exciting because, I mean, you think Nepal and everybody's like, what are you going to do in Nepal? We're like, well, we don't know, but we know there's Everest there. So we're going to do that for sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we didn't know that we were going to climb a bunch of mountains. We, I mean, (laughs) there were so many things, but we knew that we were wrapping this trip up with a flight around Everest. Um, 
So a few things about Nepal and Kathmandu specifically is that it's one of the most dangerous airports in the world because of visibility. Um, we had people on our trip coming into Kathmandu that had to refuel in India, in India because they couldn't land. Because they were circling so much. I mean, it's it's an intense place. There's one runway. Into. One runway. And did you know that there was a really bad plane crash the day that we left? No. In Nepal, four people died. Let's go ahead. Keep going. Okay. So all of that to say the air, the the air situation is definitely a situation. It Um, is. So we, we were excited that on the last day of our trip, we were getting up very early to leave our hotel, to go to the Kathmandu airport and board a plane, a Buddha airplane. And then we would circle Mount Everest. The whole flight was an hour long and we were all like jazz, so jazz. But we had it. we had to be in the air by 830. Or, or we wouldn't make our flights out of Kathmandu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole thing was kind of like balancing on the fact of like we would do this flight if there was good visibility and if we were able to take off and land, be back at the airport no later than 9.30 a.m. so that we could all get our connecting flights out of the country at 11 a.m. So it was all kind of dicey. So we all go into this airport and this airport is like, there is nothing to describe this airport. It is like a situation like you have never experienced. People everywhere, like they do not have the technology there like we have at any airport in the States. We're like walking through security and it's not plugged in. Yeah. Like one of the men said to me, it is very important that we scan your bags. And so we all put our bags on, on this scan, (laughs) on the, on the conveyor belt, which doesn't roll like on its own. You have to push your stuff through. And, um, as I went through, I looked at the men who were checking bags (laughs) on the (laughs) x-ray thing and they were literally having a full on conversation about something not related to anything that was in our bags. And they weren't even looking at the screen. So it was very important that we put our bags there, but they really didn't care. And then we went into this weird curtain area that was like kind of dark. <laughs> and there was a, there was a curtain for women and a, and a curtain for men. And, and you, you couldn't see, until, you couldn't you got see in there. until you got in there and you go in there and they pat you down. But it was like the most like strange pat down I've ever had. It wasn't really a pat down. It was more of just kind of like a slap on the butt and like a little hug. It was kind of weird. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we get through that and we wait and we wait and we get to board our Buddha air flight for Everest. And we're all on the plane. We each have a window seat. We all have a window seat. And we were thrilled and we knew that we had to take off by 8.30. Well, guess what? 8.30 got closer and closer and we sat there and then at 8.34, they said, guys, we have to call it. It's too dangerous. Like we can't get off the ground right now because of visibility. The flight is an hour. And the bigger problem is that once we get you in the air, we don't know that we would be able to land safely. And on time. So we're calling the flight and we're not going to do it. And we all were so, sad. We were so sad. We had already had candy service. Yes. We had had water service. Our medic had passed that electrolyte. Yes. I, mean, I went to the bathroom. I got my pod, like my, uh, my favorite song all queued up that I was going to listen to when we took off. I mean, we did Betsy it went so to the bathroom. Time. Betsy even organized an epic boomerang. Yes. It was so good. We thought I for know. sure we were doing that thing, but... We, we didn't do it. To do it, and we were kind of sad. But I'm so glad that like they called it for safety for us. Like, I appreciate that so much. So it was fun playing plane. Yeah, we played airplane big time, and then we got off the plane and we went to the other side of the airport and we did 
our international boarding and we flew out of there. We flew out of Kathmandu and landed in Doha with quite the crew of people from the trip. Yeah, the lap of luxury, pretty much. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. Doha, if you ever get a chance to fly that way. And, and we used uh, Qatar Airways yes. and they had a special where you could, if you had a long layover, they put you up for the night for free. Yes, Discover Qatar was what it was called. And so we all. Betsy, Dana, Leah, Keith, and myself, we picked um, the Hilton Doha, and we stayed there, and we got to explore the city just a little bit. We went, we went to the, what is it, Betsy, the Sukhwakif? Mm-hmm. Yes, the Sukhwakif. And got to kind of experience the culture there, and it was it's like, it, it. it's so hard to describe to people an experience like that, because it's like so stimulating visually, like you can't even... it's so hard to describe. Like, it's like, you're looking at so many different cultures, like it's such, in such a rich culture. Yeah. And seeing like the, the money in that, in that country, because it's one of the richest countries in the world. And everything was impeccably designed. All of the, all of the architecture of the skyscrapers. Incredible. Would stand alone in any American city as a landmark. Oh, absolutely. I know. We kept joking that we felt like we were going to the future in Doha. The technology in the airport was staggering. Oh my goodness. And it was really interesting to me to go from like the Nepal, Bangladesh, India side of things, which is very like Hindu. And, you know, the feel of Kathmandu is very tight, cramped. It looks like it got built on itself overnight. You know, yes. like can't sustain the infrastructure of the city. Can't sustain the, it's the city of that's right off of extension cords. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then you, you plunge yourself into Doha and it's, you know, obviously very Muslim and like lots of um, burkas and structure, um, yeah, men in long, flowing white. They look like you know royalty, and the architecture and the smells, the hoosh, the hookah, the shisha, the yes. all the white cars, yeah, all, only white cars there because it's so hot. Yes, because it's so hot, and the Mediterranean food like so different than the curries of. Nepal, but even the Arabian Sea looked clean. Oh, it was so beautiful. I mean, it was such, it was so like visually stimulating. Like it was hard to take it all in. Honestly, it was. I know. And you know, what's also funny is that I, I didn't necessarily want to be in Doha more than I wanted to be in Kathmandu. Totally. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh yes. And then we got there and we were like, oh, we need to do more time here. I know we need to travel. All right, ladies, thank you so much for helping me break this down. Let's close it out by talking about, like, where do we go from here? Mm. I'm still working on answering that question, so I don't really have an answer myself. I mean, I think that if we could answer that question, we could, like, figure out life. But (laughs) I think for me, um, it just, it reinforces for me that we have the opportunity to make an impact. and. and the world is bigger than your four walls. Um, and I think a lot of people think, well, I can't, I can't travel. I can't, I can't go to Nepal. I can't go, you know, wherever I can't, I can't even go, you know, across the border to Mexico. But I think you, our responsibility does not have to be that we have to be able to travel. It needs to be that we 
partner with organizations that do the work for us if you can't do the work yourself. Um, and we just need to be very aware of that. And we also, I always joke with Keith that we come back from countries like this and Keith becomes this like, um, <laughs> this really strict environmentalist <laughs> where he's like, why do we have so much trash? Why are we wrapping everything in plastic? Why are we throwing everything away? Like, I think, it why just, do we have, to- why do we have paper towels? Yes. Like it's one of those things where it just makes us very aware of the impact that we have our footprint, you know, like, and yes. not to be like super, like, you know, you have to recycle everything or whatever. I just think we just need to be more aware and realize that we have the ability to influence greatly generations to come, whether it's with our environmentalist um, stand or whether it's with our, our fight against, you know, things like racism and um, how we treat, how we treat people in general and like whatever it is, like you can be the, you can be the change. You can be the ripple and we need to get outside of our four walls and partner with people that can help us do that. What about you, Betsy? Okay. Um, I think that travel will mess you up. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> I think you will find that you can handle a lot more hardship than you thought. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say no to traveling because Um, They're not sure if they're going to have what it takes, whether Mm -hmm. that is like resourcefulness, if you get lost or if your phone dies or if you don't know how to exchange money or if you don't speak a language or if you don't feel safe in a certain country or if you don't, you know, know if the food is going to agree with you. There are a lot of reasons that it's just easier to stay home. But Mm -hmm. um, the luxury of travel is that it will change you effortlessly. You don't have to do anything but show up. and the quote that I'm like thinking about a lot, it was actually Gandhi, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, who said, don't just do something, stand there. And I thought about that all the way home on my plane, because that's really what will happen to you when you travel is that you don't really have to, um, you know, launch every ship. You can't be a part of every organization and we're only on this earth for so long, but there's something about taking it in and experiencing other cultures that will cause you to realize that people are just people Mm -hmm. everywhere you go. I saw moms like grabbing their kid's hand and pulling them out of the street. I saw grandfathers loving on their grandkids You know, I saw people annoyed that their food was taking too long. I saw people get cut off in the street and like give somebody some version of the bird. Like you just see it all everywhere you go. And, you know, I was very moved when we left that village and they had a surprise birthday party for us. And Mm -hmm. um, their version of a birthday party was so precious to me and very similar in so many ways, like the way that we would party and celebrate, but they all like stood at the front of the room and sang to us and their faces were so sincere. They were so earnest and um, the connection was so great because none of us had cell service and nobody had a cell phone. It was beautiful. And I just thought, you know, this is what people do. They like, they sing to each other. We fight with each other. We make up rules. We, we do all the things. And that was very profound for me to experience that in all the different cultures and all the different cities we've described just like in this afternoon, you know, is like just seeing that 
that through line of what happens when you just let another culture hit you head on. Um, it's just really powerful. I think it gives you a lot of respect for other people and it gives you a lot of gratitude for what you have that others don't like it, it's just good all the way around. Bessie, that ties right into what I was about to say um, about the song. I was going to mention that song that they sang. Mm -hmm. But you said one thing while we were in Nepal, and it was like, you know, we try our whole life to fill our happy cup. And there's always going to be that drop of sadness. And Mm -hmm. what happens if we settle into that discomfort a little bit? That's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in that middle of my happy cup is so full. But, you know, you can't truly be that happy when you know that consistent suffering is still there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. some people don't have drinking water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But yeah. I wanted to end Betsy with mentioning that song that you just said, and it translates that if you look at the world through the eyes of a thorn, there is bad everywhere. But if you look at the world through the eyes of a flower, there is good everywhere. And I feel like that is probably my, big, my biggest takeaway. Sum it up. Yes. Anyway, thank you, ladies, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to sign off right now with the podcast. This is a longer episode today. I hope that you had fun on the journey through Nepal. And I really hope that you'll tune in next week. Hit that subscribe button because I have an exclusive interview with Jared Moon. Oh. And it is incredible. It's going to be we, so good. We recorded it in Nepal. Over the moon. We're over the moon for moon. And we recorded it on top of a mountain. It's live. You can hear the villagers in the background. It is very special. So. Stay strong. Be kind. Bye, guys.